The Water Values Podcast, Session 76. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGinsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my son Joey said, I'm Dave McGimsey and thanks for joining me as we kick off 2016. First off, thank you to those of you who sent your well wishes concerning my family's move back to Indiana. Really appreciate your thoughts. It's great to be back near family and friends, although we certainly will miss all the friends that we had made in such a short time here in the Denver Denver area. Uh, Next, for those who didn't catch the 2015 Year in Review episode, Stay tuned for some changes to the podcast. Uh, Listen to Session 75 for more on that. Uh, And I'll have more on the move and on those upcoming changes uh, to the podcast and to the website as soon as more details get finalized. Well, today's guest is Daniel Zachariah, an expert in irrigated agriculture. Uh, This is, again, a user or a uh, listener-requested topic. So hopefully this delivers what you were wanting to hear. Uh, And going into the interview, I knew just very little, just kind of some very basic information about irrigated agriculture. I'm certainly no expert, but in the short span of half an hour speaking with Daniel, I learned a tremendous amount about the issues associated with irrigated agriculture, the relative efficiencies of various irrigation methods, and much more. Daniel just does a great job explaining in simple terms an issue that many of us don't know much about. So please enjoy his expertise in this episode. And with that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Daniel, thanks so much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Really appreciate your time. Uh, To start off, could you tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. Um, I um, have a Bachelor of Science in Agriculture Engineering and a Master and a PhD in Irrigation Engineering at Utah State University. And um, I grew up uh, in an area of southern Italy where um, where everything is oriented to high-quality horticultural production. And But the area is highly affected by chronic water scarcity and recurring drought. So basically, I grew up with all kinds of problems related to water agricultural water management and in addition my father was for 35 years um, the general manager of a large water district and so I grew up basically with all kind of problems that are very common here in California so that's that's uh, why I got uh, very interested in, in, in agricultural water management. Terrific and so uh, wh- what is all this this background and this terrific background you've got what what are you doing now in the water industry? Well, basically, I'm an agricultural water management specialist uh, in cooperative extension uh, here at the University of California, and I'm uh, um, um, I'm, uh, located at the Department of Land, Air, and Water Resources at University of California, Davis. And so what I do is basically support state agency growers and uh, uh, the whole agricultural industry uh, by delivering and sharing uh, science-based information uh, that could solve or partially address address uh, agricultural water-related problems. Sure. And obviously, California has a lot of agriculture, and a lot of that is irrigated agricultural. Could you just kind of give us a background on, on California's agricultural uh, sector? Oh, yeah. Well, it's a huge industry. Um, it's uh, 
composed by more than 81,000 uh, farms and all in all generate um, uh, more than $49 billion. And it's, uh, so I was, as I was saying, it's a huge industry, but in, um, overall it counts for less than 5% of the global domestic product in California. So, um, but it's still a huge industry. And is the, is the, California is the number one uh, food and agriculture producer in the US for, and it's been like that for more than uh, 50 consecutive years. Um, and as more than a half of the uh, United States fruit, nuts, and vegetables come from California. Again, as uh, uh, um, is the, the number one dairy state in the United States, and uh, and also on the job market, one uh, one in six jobs in California is dependent on, on the agricultural industry. So again, it's a it's a it's a big it's a big sector. Yeah, and. And obviously, it's it's got to need a lot of water to support that. So, how does how is water used and and in the California ag sector? Well, um, let's say in a normal year, uh, that could be um, that could be, uh, for instance, um, related to 2010. 2010 was a considered normal year. Um, uh, the agricultural wa water use is about 34 million acre feet, and out of this, uh, in a normal year, uh, about 30% comes from groundwater. Uh, during drought, probably 50% comes from, from groundwater. But at the same time, the agricultural sector is not the number one user, water user in California, because uh, uh, the number one user is the environmental sector, and then we got the agricultural sector, and then the urban water use. So in, 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 um, in order, the environmental sector takes uh, the largest chunk of water, the agricultural sector takes the second largest, and then the urban water use is the third. Uh, all in all, the, uh, the the total beneficial water use in California is about 80 uh, million acre feet per year. Wow. Uh and so, uh, where where's the ag distributed within the state? Where's where's this water use occurring? Is it you know Southern California, Northern California? Where what are the the areas in which water is being used in, in ag? Oh, uh, mostly uh, most of the water is being most of the water supply is being generated in the northern part of California. Uh, let's say north um, north of um, of Sacramento region, and uh, and mostly during the wet season it means uh, fall and winter. And water demand mostly occurs in the central part of California, and mostly during the dry season, so spring and summer. So uh, basically, in California water needs to be moved in space and time. So uh, the most uh, important uh, water uh, reservoir is represented by the Sierra Nevada uh, for um, that accumulates snowpacks and, and this is uh, uh, this is the, the, um, the largest uh, water supply for the for the entire state. Sure, sure and and when it comes to the types of of irrigation that is using this water, what what are the types of irrigation that, that California ag producers are employing? 
Oh, we got a whole uh, range of uh, irrigation method. Um, I think uh, the still the most uh, prevalent is probably surface irrigation method. Method that means furrow uh, and um, border checks and uh, other uh, type of surface irrigation. But then at the same time, um, micro irrigation, so um, uh, micro sprinklers and drip irrigation is picking up, is increasing in terms of acreage and use. Also as a result of the state policy that is promoting uh, the adoption on a higher efficiency irrigation method. Uh, sprinkler system um, it stays pretty much constant and then there are other types, there are minor types, but the, the most important are surface irrigation method and micro irrigation methods. Sure, and from a surface irrigation standpoint, uh, I see, does that encompass like flood irrigation? Yes. Okay, could you and could you for, for listeners who may not know about that, can you describe what flood irrigation is? Oh, basically, water is put um, in larger, larger volumes on the surface of water, and the distribution of water throughout the fields occur occur through the surface. And so, basically, um, the, the the infiltration is is depending on several factors like uh, the slopes, the amount of water, the flow rate, but is uh, is one of the most uh, mostly uh, used and the most ancient irrigation. Um, system. Of course, there are improved improved practices that allow to uh, get a, uh, get uh, quite a quite a high efficiency also in surface irrigation method and flood irrigation method. So uh, the problem is that um, sometimes not all the factors are uh, in control of the growers, and so um, it, it is difficult to to achieve a very high. Uh, efficiency, irrigation efficiency through this method. Um, in in micro irrigation, so micro sprinkler and drip irrigation, everything the water um, the water is conveyed through um, uh, plastic pipes and and uh, uh, aluminium pipes, and so basically the amount of water that is distributed in the different area of the field um, is is um, much more under control of the system and the operator. Sure. So. I what I've heard is that the surface irrigation, including the flood irrigation, that is, uh, it's, it sounded to me like you said it was efficient, but it's not as efficient as uh, the micro sprinkler drip irrigation systems. Well, um, uh, we're talking here about the potential, uh, the potential efficiency that you can achieve with micro irrigation uh, is very high, but is not always the case in the reality because the system needs to be maintained, needs to be well designed, needs to be maintained, it needs to be well operated, and is not always the case. So potentially, all the micro irrigation system achieve a better efficiency. In reality, when the surface irrigation system are well designed and well-managed, they, they can uh, achieve uh, a level of efficiency slightly lower than micro-irrigation. Hmm. Now, that's really interesting because I would have I thought that micro-irrigation would be substantially more efficient. Uh, and is, is the efficiency lost? Are, are, are you looking at this holistically? I mean, are you talking about uh, the, the micro-irrigation because of the, the maintenance costs, the energy costs that might be needed for it? Are those what the factors that are making it not as efficient potentially, or is it is it from leaks in the system where there, where water's leaking out and it's less you know water efficient? Are you looking at this more holistically or specifically from a water use standpoint? Well, 
from the water use standpoint, uh, the potential efficiency in micro irrigation is much higher than uh, than uh, surface. But uh, it requires <clears throat> the, those type of method requires skilled people and a lot of maintenance and and monitoring in order to keep the high level of efficiency. So the technology doesn't address necessarily uh, high efficiency, uh, but the technology has to go um, together with uh, proper management practices in the field. Okay, so it sounds to me like it's that's a holistic. It's including labor and energy and all that stuff. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Um, what are the different kinds? There's because I think there is uh, uh, drip irrigation that's subsurface and drip irrigation that's that's on the surface. What could you tell uh, you know tell us a little about the different kinds of that drip irrigation? Oh, okay. So the technology is very similar. Uh, the difference is that in in um, in surface drip irrigation, the um, uh, the drip tape is lay, um, laid on on the on the ground surface, and so is uh, exposed to um, uh, the, the 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 plant and the different uh, um, uh, and the soil. While in subsurface drip irrigation, usually drip tapes are placed underground at a depth of uh, uh, probably 10 to 14 inches. And so the advantage of, um, of having a subsurface drip irrigation is that uh, it minimizes the, um, the soil uh, evaporation because uh, a minimal part of the soil surface gets wet. Uh, and and uh, as opposed to surface drip irrigation, where um, most of the, um, I mean, the, the soil surface get wet, uh, and so you get a little bit of of, um, of uh, soil evaporation. But basically, the technology is very similar. Um, the the component of the systems are very similar. The management com the management part is slightly different because um, you need a little bit of uh, um, more monitoring in in, in in, uh, in subsurface drip irrigation in order to spot problem because basically you don't see the water. Uh, you don't see the water coming up at the soil surface. And so you need uh, like flow meter and more uh, inspection devices in order to spot problem and to uh, do the proper maintenance. Sure. Uh, and one of the other things I think uh, in my kind of naive mind would be that subsurface drip irrigation might you know run the risk of uh, you know, with tilling and, and other things that are going on, it, it could get damaged. I mean, so how do, how do growers manage subsurface drip irrigation systems so they don't, you know, get that kind of accidental damage? Well, um, uh, well the, the growers are very careful because, uh, you know, it's a lot of labor to spot a leak and, and to repair a leak. So most of the time they're very good in managing those systems. But, of course, some damage might occur. Uh, the real problem in subsurface drip irrigation are rodents. So not really uh, damaged by machinery or farming equipment, but really by rodents and, and different type of animals. Huh. Um well, because these are so close in, in terms of their overall efficiency, from what it sounds like, uh, what, where do you see irrigation going in the next couple of years? I mean, what, you know, what, what are the trends that you're spotting uh, from an irrigated ag per perspective? 
what I uh, there's a there's a, um, uh, an irrigation survey conducted by the Department of Water Resources every 10 years, and it shows clearly that the the tendency is for reduction in terms of surface irrigation method and flood and and fur irrigation, um, and the, and this reduction is being um, is being instead compensated by an increase of micro irrigation method, and this because the state is promote is promoting a higher efficiency uh, method, but at the same time, there's a lot of, uh, especially during the last two or three years of drought, uh, the state had put a lot of effort and resources uh, and subsidies for growers to adopt um, a more, um, let's say, a more efficient, resource-efficient irrigation, irrigation method. So I would say probably the trend will continue in terms of uh, increasing the adoption of micro-irrigation at, uh, um, at the expense of surface irrigation, also because a large amount of, of subsidies that are now available and, 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 and the large initiative put together by uh, state agencies. Sure. And, and those subsidies, just for clarification, could you explain what those subsidies are? Oh, those are uh, funding programs that are available for growers. Uh, so growers apply in order to obtain funding for upgrading the irrigation system or for converting from uh, surface irrigation uh, towards a micro-irrigation system. And so those are uh, basically capital funds that are, can, can be um, uh, provided to growers in order to modernize the irrigation system on the farm. So, so, Daniel, we're talking about the money. Uh, could you tell us a little about the rate structures under which growers are paying for their water? Okay, so in California, the situation is um, um, really uh, quite a bit differentiated, but on, on average, the water is charged based on a, on a per acre foot uh, rate, and this is a flat rate. In terms of cost, we got uh, costs ranging from um, $20 an acre foot uh, in the Imperial Valley. Uh, this is uh, water coming from the Colorado River Basin. Um, and on average, uh, we can reach a value um, uh, sometime cost of uh, $400 to $500 uh, per acre foot. And this is, again, uh, based on a flat rate. In some part of the Central Valley and the San Joaquin Valley, um, uh, some water districts are applying different water pricing based on um, uh, the fact that uh, the water supply can, some in some period of the year, coming from uh, groundwater or coming from surface water. Since groundwater needs pumping and needs energy, uh, the, the, um, uh, the cost uh, structure for um, uh, pumped water is a little, a little higher than surface water. Uh, in, um, in some other areas, the San Joaquin Valley, some water districts are, are thinking about implementing tiered water pricing, that means incremental block tariff based on, based on the volumetric water use. And this is, uh, I think, the direction that will be taken by uh, several irrigation districts, also in view of the uh, the groundwater, the sustainable groundwater um, legislation. So um, uh, the growers will be charged uh, increasingly according to the amount of water that they use over a seasonal um, seasonal basis. Okay, so uh, let's let's delve into that last point a little more. So, could you explain how that tiered rate is gonna it's gonna work? And you say they're going to be charged uh, based on their usage over uh, on a seasonal basis. So what? So I, I would assume that means in summer they're going to be charged more, whereas in the winter time 
when irrigation it's not irrigation season there's there's not going to be that that tiered structure in place is that what i'm understanding no actually at the, uh, currently some of the some of the water district uh, uh, um, uh, have conceived this tiered water pricing, uh, differentiating the, uh, the rates uh, of groundwater with respect to those related to surface water. So the, the first uh, level of tier will, and difference in, in, in water pricing will be related whether uh, to the fact whether the, the water supply comes from groundwater or from surface water. So this is the current uh, water uh, pricing, tier water pricing that is implemented by uh, some district. Um, uh, the way probably this will evolve is that uh, within each category of water supply, groundwater or uh, surface water, uh, growers will be charged increasingly um, uh, in, 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 um, in, in respect to the amount of water that they use. For instance, if they use uh, um, 10 acre foot, will be will be charged at a, at, a, at a lower rate. If they go beyond uh, a certain threshold, they will be charged increasingly uh, with increasingly higher tariff this is basically in order to make growers responsible of the water use and to minimize uh, minimize uh, losses sure and it's, it's a, it's, it's a uh, Type of tariff that is being implemented in several other, other uh, several other nations, several other countries like Europe and and uh, Australia and New Zealand. Sure, and and so the the ultimate impact of that tiered pricing, it's going to likely lead to uh, greater uh, implementation of those micro micro uh, irrigation systems we talked about, simply because the price because the price of water would go up. Uh, it would it might make more sense then to incur those labor and energy costs uh, because the price of water's increase. Is that my understanding of that? Yeah, well, probably that will be an effect, but I think one of the other effects will be that grower will not push uh, production to the maximum yield because, uh, you know, for reaching the maximum yields, they will uh, need to use incremental amount of water, and so they will balance the cost of incremental amount of water with the with the, um, the co with, with the price that will reach and obtain uh, for the incremental production. So basically, their economic balance will be probably shifted towards the maximization of the net profit rather than the ma maximization of the yield production. So um, the, the, the whole economic balance will probably uh, be shifted um, in less production um, and, and maximizing the net uh, profit of the agricultural activities. And so that's going to result in higher food prices, right? Uh, probably slightly higher food processing, but a better control on water usage uh, statewide. Very, that's interesting. Very interesting. Well, Daniel, can you, can you tell us a little about irrigation efficiency and how that kind of fits in with the larger ag efficiency okay yes the irrigation efficiency is basically as measured as a ratio between the amount of water that is beneficially used by the crop versus the amount of water that is applied to the crop field and as such is a like a really an engineering concept but in 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 the current situation i think is uh, very limited in scope and should be replaced by a more holistic concept like uh, the eco efficiency of water use uh, where uh, the 
eco-efficient water use, um, um, eco stands for economic and ecologic. And so you compare the value of production, the agricultural production, with respect to the amount of resources that are used and the amount of pollution that is emitted as a result of the agriculture activity. So I think the eco-efficiency will sl uh, slowly replace the engineering concept of irrigation efficiency because eco-efficiency is more broad in scope and also account for environmental e impact of the ag agricultural production. Uh, so can you tell me a little more about this eco-efficiency concept? I mean, how widespread is it and, and w w you know, how quickly is it being adopted? I think is uh, is is being adopted very uh, fastly in uh, in in different countries like Australia and New Zealand have already included eco efficiency of water use in their water policy and uh, and is also rapidly being adopted in Europe here um, in the United States and in California in particularly uh, it might take another drought uh, to focus the attention on on uh, on um, the the, um, the economic and uh, ecologic uh, uh, effect of water use. So probably it will uh, it will come up uh, at a certain point, but uh, I, I don't think the, I don't think the, um, the state is ready for this type of holistic um, uh, um, indicators. But anyway, it includes uh, the economy um, of agricultural production and the uh, ecological ecological sustainability of it. So I think as as uh, being considered by a state agency, but it will uh, eventually be eventually be adopted. Okay. Um Let's talk about some of the environmental impacts. You mentioned this, the California groundwater law, but uh, I don't really want to focus on that today. But uh, could you talk about some of the environmental impacts of agriculture and its use of irrigation? Okay, so the most common environmental impact of irrigated agricultural uh, salt buildup in the soil and also um, um, degradation of uh, surface water and groundwater. And this can come from different sources. It can come from salt or from nutrient um, uh, and leach out of uh, fertilizers. So those are the main um, environmental impact of irrigated agriculture. But at the same time, there's, uh, there's greenhouse gas emission as a result of uh, energy usage for pumping and for tractor and for machinery. So those are are um, uh, the, the main category of, of environmental impact. I would say air, soil, and water degradation might, might um, uh, be uh, coming from agricultural production. Hmm. So uh, on the salt buildup, is, is that a result of, of the salt just being left behind from irrigated agri, or is it a result of the pumping along coastal areas uh, that might draw in the saline water from, from the ocean? Well, uh, any any type of water, either uh, surface water or groundwater, contains a natural salt. And when water is put onto the field uh, and is uh, evapotranspired by the crop and, and, and evaporated by the uh, by the soil, uh, then uh, the salts are left behind on the on the on the on the soil. So uh, normally, the process of uh, irrigation. Will bring salt uh, onto the onto the field, uh, but in the coastal area. 
area, this is much higher because um, there might be seawater intrusion in the groundwater, and so there, there's salinization of the groundwater and the aquifer, and then irrigation that occurs with salinized water will bring more salt on, onto the soil. But uh, in addition to that, there are also fertilizer uh, are um, mainly um, uh, made out of salts and, and, and also nutrient. Uh, so when, when a crop is uh, fertigated or irrigated and, and fertilized, uh, then there are a certain amount of salt that are left on the soil. Hmm. And so how, how do you combat this? What, what's the remedy for the salt buildup? Well, a better control of, uh, of everything that growers do um, in terms of the amount of water applied and uh, they should be matching. Uh, the evapotranspiration rate of the crop, but at the same time, um, um, you, you know, the, this, uh, the, uh, in order to be sustainable, um, first of all, rainfall uh, is, a, is a major effect in terms of leaching the uh, salts uh, out of the soil. Um, and also, um, a good farming practices like, um, like leaching fraction by growers uh, are helpful in order to keep the soil. Um, uh, not, I mean, the salts into, into the soil are not very concentrated and well diluted in order to keep the potential for further and follow-up production cycles. Hmm. Now, you've mentioned evapotranspiration several times. Could you just, just, just for those listeners that might not know what evapotranspiration is, can you please uh, tell us what that is? Oh, yes. Uh, well, evapotranspiration is the combination of water losses that occurs from a field as a result of uh, uh, water evaporation from the soil and uh, transpiration uh, from the crop and from the crop canopy. So the combined process of evaporation from the soil and transpiration from the canopy is called uh, evapotranspiration. It's basically the amount of water that the crop uses for uh, growing and uh, for agricultural production. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, the other thing you mentioned was uh, surface water degradation was another uh, environmental impact. And what could you say, how, how do you develop a program, uh, you know, an irrigation program that, that minimizes uh, surface water degradation and, and that saltwater buildup? You know, how do you, how do you get to mitigate these environmental impacts when you're in your ag irrigated ag sector? Well, the, the University of California in the last uh, probably 15, 20 years has put a lot of effort in research and applied research in order to come up for come up with um, uh, better information in terms of uh, water use and, and fertilizer uptake and nutrient uptake. So basically by knowing much better how much um, how much water and fertilizer the, cro the different crop uses, then um, this uh, better information can orient better practices in terms of uh, water and fertilizer application in order to uh, not leave residual into the soil and, and to degrade uh, surface water and groundwater. So there's a lot of effort going on. There's a lot of resources put uh, and a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, research going on in, in understanding better the crop physiology, uh, the different uh, uh, agricultural uh, plants and agricultural crop, but also um, in, in terms of uh, coming up with better practices. Um, and, and this is a kind of a knowledge delivery to growers on how to better use uh, their resources in order to keep uh, their agricultural farming activities sustainable uh, for the years to come. Sure. And, and are GMOs part of that? 
Well, no, um, uh, to my knowledge, they're not. Um, but um, there's a lot of research in variety, uh, you know, identification of uh, uh, higher um, uh, efficiency or, or higher uh, productive variety, and also um, um, a variety that are more resilient and, and uh, tolerant to drought. And so, uh, also the genetics and the variety trials are uh, um, a main component in, in, in this type of program for uh, higher sustainability of uh, irrigated agriculture in California. Hmm. Well, Daniel, you've been absolutely fantastic. I've, I've learned so much in this discussion with you, and I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to chat with me about it. Uh, for those folks who want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go to find that information? Well, there are in the website of uh, the Department of Land, Air, and Water Resources, there's a section that relates to my work. But also, we have uh, put together a number of uh, drought-related resources. Uh, um, those are about 34 videos that are available in the webpage of the ANR, Agriculture and Natural Resources of University of California. And I'm in the process of developing the Irrigation uh, Research and Information Center that is going to be a repository of the most relevant work being conducted by University of California in the last uh, 15 years. Terrific. Well, Daniel, thank you again so much. Really appreciated speaking with you. And uh, until next time, thanks so much. Thank you very much. You bet. Bye. Bye. Well, that was my interview with Daniel Zachariah, fantastic guy, and I was very impressed with his knowledge of irrigated agriculture. Well, here are a few takeaways. First is that it's interesting to note that the more water-efficient technologies may not be actually more efficient overall in a holistic sense, and this is because more water-efficient technologies incur other costs, labor, energy, maintenance costs, among others. And those costs eat into the cost savings gained from an increased water-efficient agriculture or water-efficient irrigation uh, method. And to me, this constitutes more evidence that water is underpriced, that water is priced below its value, and that introduces an externality into the economic model, which causes the more water-efficient irrigation methods to appear less efficient when viewed in that holistic manner. So I think if we remove the externality of, of artificially lower-priced water, then that hopefully will, will bring back into balance how that, uh, that equation looks between more water-efficient uh, models and less water-efficient models. Uh, my other takeaway is that the United States is behind other countries in the eco-efficiency movement as it pertains to agriculture. As Daniel indicated, most water efficiency models in the United States focus on uh, the, the engineering concept of water efficiency. And Daniel noted that eco-efficiency is a more holistic approach to efficiency that takes into account not only engineering concepts of efficiency, but also economic and ecological impacts of irrigation. He thought it would take another drought to get the United States, at least in California, uh, to get agriculture focused on this concept, but that other countries like Australia are currently far ahead in adopting this more holistic approach. So we'll see what happens. Well, what interested you about the interview with Daniel, please let me know by posting a comment on the show notes, which will be at thewatervalues.com 
forward slash pod 76. I also appreciate any feedback you have, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. You can email me at david at thewatervalues.com or you can tweet at me at DTM1993. You can even tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. And you can also contact me with suggestions for potential interviewees, water issues you'd like to hear more about, or even just to let me know what you liked and didn't like about the podcast. Um, I appreciate your support about the podcast by spreading the word and also by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast directory you listen to the podcast on. In conclusion, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.